Matthew 13, starting at verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Um, before we jump in, just a just a an idea I've been kind of rolling around, which is <clears throat> we're we're all here today, um, which is an obvious statement. But since you're here, the Lord has divinely brought you here, and so instead of letting this be just a a weekly thing where you come in, you hear, and hopefully, you know, you learn some stuff, and then you go back out, and you do it again, you come back. Since we're all here, why don't we just kind of stop and say, God, why don't you do something amazing in my heart today? You're going to speak from your word, and so since it's your word, you can take any text of scripture, even random parables that I might not even understand, and do an amazing work in my heart. So we're going to go into a time of prayer here, but before we do, I would just say, why don't you just pray that and ask the Lord I'm here, um, I've got nothing else to do for the next hour, so God, just come and do your work. I would love it if you would come and just invade my heart with some truths that haven't, um, I haven't understood, or stir my affections for the gospel in ways that I've never ever thought. So let's, let's pray for that before we, go into his, before we go into his word. Let's pray. Lord, we're all here to hear from you. Including myself, I'm not here primarily to speak from you, speak for you, but I'm primarily here to hear from you as well. And so, 
we readily acknowledge right now the truth is that (coughs) unless your spirit comes right now and just does a magnificent work, then this is this is futile. So would you come now, God, and open our minds to hear and understand your truth and open our hearts that as we hear and understand, it moves to our hearts and just destroys us. It breaks us apart. It increases desires and affections and love for Christ. It gives us new insights to this glorious gospel that maybe we've never understood. We want to be open to that, Lord. We want that to happen. And so I pray for us all that we would, we would ask for that this morning. Do a work that only you can do. We thank you for your word that you use to cause this to happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in parables, and this is the second week of parables. And so if you weren't here last week, I want to give you a little bit of an understanding about what's going on and how parables are to be understood, just in case you weren't here. We're going to be starting at verse 24 through 43. So last week, we did verses 1 through 23, and we're starting at verse 24. So if you have no idea about parables or what they are or how they're supposed to be understood, don't fret, because Jesus himself has explained to us what parables are all about, because most of us, if you're, well, if you're like me at least, um, you're kind of dense and hard to understand these things. And <laughs> what are you talking about, Jesus? I don't understand. So I'm going to explain to you, because Christ has explained to us, what's the point of parables. Um, and from that, we're going to move into, starting at verse 24, uh, we're going to look at three different parables today, the weeds, the leaven, and the, uh, the mustard seed. So Let's look here first about uh, what's going on and what's the point. So parables are a little bit different than any other kind of stories. Jesus is telling stories here. And what he's doing is as he's telling a story, um, which is just a parable, the point that he's trying to do is not tell something that's allegorical. An allegorical story is just where every detail of the story has all these kinds of meanings and you're trying to figure out what's the detail of that and how does that work. Uh, a parable is a little bit different. Whenever he's telling a story, this is just a practical story that everybody that's listening hears and understands. And as he's telling it to them, they're all hearing this and they're understanding what it is that he's saying because it's kind of relating to their everyday life. He talks about sowing seed. He talks about um, leaven and things like that. These are all things they understand. And in parables, what you're supposed to not, you're not really supposed to pay attention to the details. There are some things you want to hear, but the big thing about a parable is as you're listening to it, there's one kind of big spiritual truth that you're trying to find. So that's as you listen to parables, that's what you're wanting to do is what's that big one spiritual truth that I'm wanting to hear and see that Jesus is trying to tell me. That's what he's trying to do in a parable. Now, as he's trying to do this parable, um, as he's trying to tell this parable, parable, there's there's a couple things that he's trying to do. There's those that are hearing and understanding the parable and there's those that aren't. And that's really <clears throat> specific or that's really intentional by Jesus. If you look at 13, um, at 13, 13, it says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. In other words, seeing or hearing, I'm telling them the on the surface story about seeds and things like that. And all they're hearing is just hearing is just an agrarian story. They think I'm just talking about gardening and that's all. 
But I'm not just talking about gardening. I'm talking about something more spiritual, something about the heart. And so he's talking about the two people that hear this story. There's people that hear it, and all they hear is just a story about that. And that's intentional. What Jesus is trying to do whenever he does that is he's trying to conceal truth from them. All he's going to let them do is hear that story about gardening or whatever or or bread. And that's it. He's wanting to conceal from them the, the spiritual truth. But then there's a second group of people that they're hearing that. And as they're hearing it, they're saying, I understand what you're saying. There's some deeper stuff in there. And what he's wanting for them to do is to reveal truth to them because they are believing. So that's how we're supposed to understand it. We're supposed to kind of in, um, insert ourselves into that first century here. What are they trying to do? They understand what's going on. We want to hear like they do. Look for that one spiritual truth, not make too much of the details and get that one spiritual truth and understand it. So he's big picture revealing to them um, in these big, huge parables that are going to kind of go on. There's really 27 um, in the gospels that I've counted. He is going to reveal to them the mysteries of, of the kingdom. That's kind of the big picture thing that he's over and over doing in parables is revealing to them the mysteries of the kingdom. Um, and you can see that in 16, it's going to say that for those that understand, for those that understand, <clears throat> it says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you didn't see and did not see, and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. So there's some people that hear it, and if they do hear it, and they do understand it, Jesus says, those that do, you should consider yourself blessed. This is a work of God, and you are blessed because of it. And our only right response of that is, Worship, our only right response. So um, the breakdown of how this is going to look for us for the rest of the time, we only looked at one parable last week, and that was the parable of the soils. There's six more, and the rest of the six, we're going to do three today and three next week. The three we're going to do today, as I said, are the weeds, the mustard seed, and the leaven. And those particular three are to the crowds. Those particular three, Jesus is telling to all the crowds. You can see there in 13.2, it says, And great crowds gathered. We talked about this last week. Um, in the book of Matthew, there's five big, huge, major teaching discourses. And he's done one Sermon on the Mount. That was his first one. And the second was chapter 10, where he does this kind of unpacking teaching on missions. And he's going into his third um, teaching discourse here. And so all the disciples are thinking, yeah, he's about to preach again. Great crowds are coming. We remember Sermon on the Mount. We remember the mission talk. I mean, he, he just crushed it then he's about to do it again so they're everybody get here everybody listen and then he just tells them this story about seed and they're like what that wasn't why'd you do that i don't understand i thought it was supposed to be this huge unpacking like the other two times and then you just tell the story no one understands it and they go to him there and it says why do you speak to them in parables we don't understand why you did that and so um the point is is he's saying because i'm, I'm shifting the way i'm doing teaching now the way i'm doing teaching now is i'm wanting some people to see it and i'm not wanting others to see it and so um the next time <coughs> that we get here, uh, we're doing three. The, the following week when we're doing three, those three parables are only to the disciples. You can see in verse 36, it says he left the crowds and he went into the house. He goes back into the house with those disciples. He explains the weeds and then he tells them three more. And those particular three, which we're going to look at next week, are just to the disciples. Um, and there's only, out of those seven parables... Only two of them get uh, explained to us by Jesus. And that's the one we talked about last week, the soils. And one that we'll talk about this week, the first one, are the weeds. He says those to the crowds. He tells the parable of the soils to the crowds. He says the parable of the weeds to the crowds. But only the explanation comes to the disciples later on. He pulls them to the side, explains the soils. And then today we'll see he goes back into the house and he pulls them aside and he explains the weeds. Well, um, they actually ask. They ask a better question. Last time they said, why do you speak to them in parables? Why, what were you doing? You were supposed to lay it out like you did the other times. And this time they just come and they say, uh, 
could you explain to us the parable of the weeds? <laughs> now, I don't know why they didn't ask the other two. Apparently, maybe they either got them and they said, we're going to press our luck if we ask for all three. Why don't we just ask for one? Which one? Weeds? All right, let's go with weeds. And so they said, could you at least just explain the weeds to us? But they asked a better question, though. They didn't say, why'd you do it again? They said, could you at least just explain that one to us? Um, so they, they finally asked a better question. So now we're going to do the second three. Um, and before we do that, I have the title, and I, I wrote a rhyme, and I want you all to see it. I've been listening to a lot of Lecrae, so today's sermon is Parable of the Kingdom of Heaven of Weed, Seed, and, weed, seed, and Leaven. So um, I'm pretty pumped about that. I, I don't really ever get very creative, and so when I wrote that, I was, I was excited and wanted to make sure you saw that. Um, so that's, that's the big, huge title of today. So we're going into verse 24. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going into 24, and we're going to get started. Um, today and <clears throat> next week... The next six parables, they all start the same. They all start the same. You'll notice that they all say, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. You see it in 31. The kingdom of heaven is like. You can see it in 33. The kingdom of heaven is like. And next week, all three of those start the same way. The kingdom of heaven is like. And so these next six parables are trying to, Jesus is trying to help us see the kingdom of heaven is like something. And so the big idea that's going in here, these parables are everyday situations that the hearers are familiar with where Jesus is trying to help them understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, something about the kingdom of heaven, we need to make sure we understand. The kingdom of heaven is coming, but the kingdom of heaven is also here. It's both and. It's not either or, it's both. It's not fully here. We're, we're, we all have this longing and aching for it to happen. And it finally will come to fruition one day. But the truth is, is that it's here now as well. And that's what Christ is trying to explain to him as, in, in many different ways as we're, as we're going into it. So he's going to use a little bit of an understanding of that soils, which we did last week, explaining it to us because he's going to keep that same agrarian um, parable. And now we're going into the next one. There are some differences here, but we want to go ahead and see those. <clears throat> um, how how they're a little bit different because this week uh, the the seeds that he's going to explain are going to sow he's going to sow seeds that are Christians and an enemy is going to sow seeds that aren't so let's look at twenty four uh, and we're going to jump over uh, to the to the explanation which is in thirty six and following we're going to kind of jump back and forth between the two and then we're going to come back to the middle part and do those last two at the end so it says in twenty four the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man. We see in verse 37, the explanation of that is the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So this man is Jesus um, who sowed good seed in his field. Now we know what that is. It says the field is the world um, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. So the good seed, this man Jesus is sowing good seed and that good seed that's coming up is if is you if you're in Jesus. If you are a Christian, if you follow Christ, you've confessed your sins and you've put your faith in him for his work on the cross for, for your sins, that means you are now, in this parable, good seed. You are a believer. And it says that the field is the world. Now, I want to talk about this just for a second because in the commentaries I read, there was all kinds of like craziness. And so um, he, I, I think Jesus is... Well, I'm just going to say I believe Jesus. I don't want to say I think Jesus is right. That's moronic to say. Um, he says the... Uh, the field is the world. Some people in, in the commentaries were saying, the field's the church. And other people saying, no, the field's the world. Well, I mean, Jesus says the field's the world. So, you know, let's just go with that. But here's the thing, the best thing to think about. If, if this is the world, then the church is certainly part of it. There's, there's people that are believers that are in the world, and there's people that are unbelievers that are in the world. And they're, they're all in here. 
Okay, and that's basically what he's trying to say. And there's there's good seed that Jesus planted and good seed that's going to come up that are going to be Christians in the world. And we're going to see here that there's also um, bad seed. Let's let's look at it. It says, but while his men were sleeping, while his men were sleeping, um, the men were sleeping part is, is interesting because <clears throat> the men were clearly as we're reading the parable itself supposed to be kind of overseeing, uh, doing something for this field. And it says, while they were sleeping, there's an enemy that came in. So they were clearly supposed to be kind of overseeing in some manner the world. And it says that while they were sleeping, that's when the enemy came in. D.A. Carson commenting on this sleeping part. Now, we're the men, all right? We're the men. You and I, we're sleeping, is what, is what he's saying. D.A. Carson says, <coughs> he's not implying that the servants were neglectful, while they were sleeping, but that the enemy, what he's trying to highlight is not necessarily that, that we are so you know sleepy and not doing our job that we're neglectful, but instead he's trying to highlight the crafty, stealthy, malicious behavior of Satan and just how deceitful, deceitful he is. But hold on, there's more, okay? Because that was Carson. Uh, Spurgeon ha- adds a little bit more. And Spurgeon says, okay, that's true. I don't know if he's reading Carson. He's not reading Carson. But he, he's saying that's true. He says um, he was... You know, lived before him. He said there was a season, there is a season in life when nature requires a man to sleep. So he's kind of conceding that point that D.A. Carson is saying. And it, but he's also saying regarding these men sleeping, he said, there's a season in life when nature requires a man to sleep. Every single one of us are going to sleep a third of our life, but we're also going to be awake two thirds of our life. And he says, but there are other times when we're awake those two thirds, whenever sinful sloth persuades them to, to the same indulgence, meaning that Whenever we're awake those two-thirds, we can sinfully just say, you know what, I feel like I, ne- I should neglect the fields and just kind of do whatever I want. I'm going to go do whatever or just sleep some more or not pay attention to the fields. Now, the text doesn't say which one it is. So you're just going to have to decide, since we're the men, which one are you? And big picture, let me just kind of bring it up and just make my point. You're going to have to decide if, you're being, if people aren't coming to Christ around you. Is it because it's that season where... Nature has taken its course and people aren't meeting Jesus because they're just not meeting Jesus. You're trying your hardest. You're, you're in season. You're out. You're, you're resting when you should. You're telling people when you should. Is it that? Or is it just sinful sloth and you're just neglecting it? it are you asleep because it's the season and people aren't meeting Jesus? Or are you asleep because you're just sinfully neglecting doing the work of the kingdom? I don't know. But that's, that's something that we should try to at least ask our heart and see which one it is. Now look what it says. So as men were sleeping, and we're going to have some comfort in just a minute about that, all right? There's good comfort coming about that, about the, the sleeping. So it says, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came, this is obviously Satan, and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So the enemy comes in while they're sleeping, and the enemy is Satan, and he sows wheat, I'm sorry, weeds among the plants. Now, if you're in the ESV with me, you probably, beside the word weeds, have a little two and you need to look down in your footnote because we're going to look at that. This is important. And it says, probably Darnell, look at this, a wheat-like weed, a wheat-like weed. And so whenever we see the word weed, don't let that confuse you because (laughs) I'll give you an illustration. Like if you come to my house and walk around in my yard, you will not ever struggle to find any weeds. Like my grass is just, it's just weeds. That's all it is. I don't even know if there's actually grass there. I hate cutting the grass now. I used to like it, 
but I just want all my grass to die and not grow this entire summer, and I don't have to do anything. I don't think that's going to happen, but um, that's what I want. But whenever you walk around, and if you know anything about grass, you can kind of walk around, and you can say, that's grass, that's a weed. Like, I can look at that and tell. But this isn't what Satan has sown. Satan hasn't sown something where, oh, look at that, that's obviously grass, and oh, that's obviously a weed. Crab grass, mess, you know, whatever. Like, he's actually sown darnell, a wheat-like weed. So this is what this means. This is the craftiness of Satan. It's the craftiness of Satan. What he's put into this plot is something that looks like weed. Jesus put wheat. Satan came and put Darnell, and it looks exactly like wheat. It's not like grass, crabgrass, grass, grass, weed. This is something that looks exactly like it. This is how devious he is. There is no distinguishing between the two while they're growing. There is no, so big picture, meaning he has put in the world, Jesus has put Christians and Satan is sowing non-Christians into the world and they look and act and smell just like Christians a lot of the time. They might even be sitting here in the congregation with us. We don't know. That's the whole point. Satan is so crafty, he sows Darnell, not just some random thing. They look just like us. They act just like us. C.S. Lewis, I'm not C.S. Lewis. Um, Spurgeon says that they are nominal Christians or moralists. They don't understand the gospel. So these are not um, different looking. They look just like wheat. And here's the most kind of amazing thing. Not only do they look the same as wheat, but he sows this thing that's called Darnell that grows in a very interesting way. Whenever it grows, Darnell finds the actual wheat and it comes in and it intertangles itself around the wheat itself as it grows. So if you wanted to kind of go find the wheat, the, the wheat and weeds, and you're like, oh, there's a weed. I'm going to grab this weed and I'm going to take it out. What would happen is you would pull the, the wheat itself up too. So you, you don't want to go take the weeds out because it's all intertangled around the wheat. And you're like, well, I can't do that. Big picture. Um, not only are these non-Christians looking like Christians, but they're so entangled in the life of it that Jesus is saying, we're not going to take the non-Christians out until the harvest. We're going to wait until the very end, and that's whenever everything will be separated. Because if we take it out right now, then the Christian might come out with it, and we want the Christian to actually come up, and then at the very end, whenever it's fruit-bearing time, harvest time, the Darnell does nothing, but the wheat looks like wheat, and now we can tell the difference. But we got to let the wheat get and look like wheat and bring to harvest. If we pull it out too early, there is no harvest. That's what he's saying. So we can't take it out too early. It's not until the end, not until the harvest that this happens. So what Satan is doing is he is planting in here things that look like he's planting Darnell, but they're frauds. The evil one is sowing into the world and maybe even, maybe even into churches, um, the prophecy, if you will, that's being told to us in 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19, speaking of people that look like Christians but aren't, it says, they went out from us. Us are Christians. Here we all are. We all think we're Christians. But they went out from us. They're not Christians. We thought they were Christians, but it went out. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. We thought they were believers, but they went out just to show us who are that they weren't. Satan is 
sewing those kinds of people in, but they're here with us for a while sometimes. They're around, and those eventually at, at the harvest, they come out. So we've got a little bit of a predicament here. The servants, um, it says so in verse 26, so when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. So you have them both come up. They, they both are sown, and then they come up. The wheat actually produces something that's useful. The darnel does nothing. It just does nothing. So there they are. The servants survey the land and they they see a problem. Like, oh, we got all these fake things. We thought they were going to do something. So it says in 27, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, they said to him, Master, did you not sow seed, good seed in your field? (laughs) Didn't you, uh, Jesus, sow good seed? Why why is it that I see all these non-Christians? Um, you're the good, you know, the, the good shepherd, or not the shepherd, you're the good sower. Why is it that I see things that aren't? And so basically they're trying to ask this. Why are there real Christians and obviously fake Christians? Um, Spurgeon answers this question. He goes, why? Because you were sleeping. That's why. That's why it happened. The, and then he says, the question is best left with the master, but the asking it is a confession that we've been asleep. I thought that was pretty... Pretty amazing thought. But he says this. Um, and the servant said to the master, how did they, how did they do this? Um, how then does it have weeds? We don't understand why there's weeds in there. And then they offer this, this out. They said, um, Jesus says, an enemy has done this. All right, so we know that the servants were sleeping. And we know that Satan comes in and, and does this. And immediately, as soon as the servants come to Jesus and say, how did this happen? Jesus immediately answers, an enemy has done this. Which means, here's the good news about all the sleeping and your neglectful or whatever. Jesus wasn't sleeping. He was never sleeping. He, he's sovereign and reigning and ruling over everything. And he's, nothing happens without his knowing. As a matter of fact, I would say nothing happens without his bringing it about. So, he says, an enemy has done this. In verse 28. And so the servant said to him, do you want us to go gather them? They're like, there's the big problem. We don't like this. Do you want to go out there? And Jesus emphatically tells them, I don't want you to get them out of here. No, we got to wait till the end. We got to wait till the final harvest. There's two reasons. Number one, in the beginning, you can't tell them apart. Wheat looks like Darnell. Darnell looks like wheat. You can't tell them apart. Also, they're so entangled together that if you were to pull them, you see it in verse 29. If you did, no, lest gathering the wheats or the Darnell, you would root up the wheat, or those who are believers, along with them. This is a hypothetical. He's, he's, he's putting out a hypothetical. This is not ever going to happen. There's not ever going to be a point where he's going to go in and non-Christians are so wrapped around that he's going to pull Christians out before they have time to produce harvest and then they kind of lose their salvation and walk away. This, isn't, this is a hypothetical. This won't ever happen. But he's saying, no, we don't want to do this. We need to let those that are believers come all the way up to full harvest, bear fruit at the end, and then they'll be separated and then they'll the ones who are will receive the kingdom of heaven. So he says, no, don't do that. Let both grow together until the harvest. This is his sovereign choice from eternity past. We want them to grow all the way up and make it all the way to the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, that's the angels, to gather the weeds first. I will tell them to gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. So let's take the very end of 30 and then work our way backwards. First of all, believers. 
if you're in Christ, the end of verse 30 is a glorious truth for you. All right? Don't, don't just breeze past these amazing truths that talks about the final destination of our souls as if that's just kind of, oh, yeah, I've heard that one before. What's next? Look. You are going to be gathered into the barn of Christ. You are going to be pulled in and he is going to bring you into his home. This is a glorious, glorious truth that we all who are in Christ are going to go to the house of God and be with Jesus forever. This is very intentional of him. However, let's take the next thing. Let's go back. Um, First, it says in, in 30, I'll tell the reapers to gather the weeds first and then... Bind them into bundles. Now, when I read that, I just breezed past it until something kind of jumped out at me. Um, This binding them into bundles is indicating something to us that what Jesus told us in chapter 7, verse 13 is coming to pass. Chapter 7, verse 13, I think, is the scariest verse in the Bible. Notice 7, 13. This is what he says. This is in his Sermon on the Mount. He says... Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. He says, don't go down the wide gate, go down the narrow gate. That's the way that leads to life. That's what 14 after that says. That's the way that leads to life. However, if you enter by the wide gate, this way is easy. This way does not require much of your life. This way does not require following the, the Savior. Don't go that way because this way leads to destruction. And then it says, many go that way. That in 7.13 is being explained, if you will, or prophesied again, if you will, here in verse 30 when he says, gather the weeds first, bind them into bundles to be burned. What am am I saying? Why is that? Here's why. An extra step is having to be inserted into, after you pull them up, they're not just throwing them into fire. There are so many weeds. There are so many darnell, if you will, that an extra step has to be inserted in the process. After we pull them up, there's so many, we literally have to bind them in bundles just to get them together. Then there's so many, we're eventually going to go take them to the fire and throw them away. This is not good news. This is troublesome for my soul. I'm going to to address this in a second, but we can't just kind of breeze past the fact that bundles, that there are so many, that they're eventually going to be burned. Verse 40 and 41 explains what this means. Look what it says in verse 40 and 41. It says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be with the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of this kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What he's saying is that there are so many people that they're going to be brought together and bundled. Not only just the people, not just the the lawbreakers, but even the causes of sin, the things that are sinful that even make all the lawbreakers be lawbreakers. And all those things who haven't repented and trusted Christ, they're going to be put together and they're all going to be thrown in Weeping and gnashing of teeth, burn forever, forever be tormented eternally. That's what he's saying is going to be happening. Now, this, this kind of thing, whenever I read these things, um, I want to, because this kind of stuff just makes me sad, and this kind of stuff doesn't make me, want, I don't want to think about it. I just want to keep moving. Like, man, that's tough stuff. I don't even know what to do with that. Let's move on to the next encouraging word. 
but I think that there's something for us to, to stop here and think about. Um, this is real life. We just have, need to stop and assess what's going on here. People everywhere around us, they're deceived by the evil one. They've been sown by the evil one into our world. They're being raised up. Some are even thinking that they're believers. They're probably looking like us, acting like us, maybe sitting around us. Spurgeon says they're nominal Christians, moralists. They know nothing of God. And at the harvest, they're going to see at the harvest that their lives bore no fruit whatsoever. They have nothing what to speak of. Theologically, they're going to see that their justification was not real because they were actually never sanctified, if you just need the theological terms. But now, what's going on is they're going to experience a future forever where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and they're going to be tormented forever. I can't just fly by that and not stop and reassess and say, well, that's just, I, I don't want to say, well, that's just God's way. That's just the way it is. I think that all of us as Christians need to read that and have something happen to us. So let me just offer out a few ideas I think that we can, as Christians, when we hear these kinds of things, be motivated by, be changed by, be thoughtful of this. First is this. We have to let this text, we have to let these things, when we read them, devastate our souls. If this doesn't move you, if this doesn't sadden you, if you're never ever broken, that scores of people will spend eternally being tormented because of their willful sin, you're never going to do anything. You're never, you're always going to be sleeping. You need to let it move your heart. The second thing you need to do is pay attention to Peter in 2 Peter 1.10 where he says that you need to make sure of your calling and election. Be sure of your calling and election. Don't at the end find yourself to be a Darnell. That's, that's an exhortation found throughout the scriptures. That though we're in Christ, we still want to continually make our calling and election sure. And the third thing that I think we need to do is this. Let's just take our minds to last week. Parable of the souls. Let's determine and say, I'm going to broadcast this gospel everywhere. This has moved in my heart in such a way that I am not going to, at the end of the age, look back and say, well, I certainly didn't do any broadcasting of this gospel. Be very generous with how you spread the gospel. Don't so sparingly tell people about Jesus. And all the while, all the while, pray, God, would you cause this person's heart to be good soil? Don't let it be hard. Don't let it be shallow. Don't let the thorns come up and choke them. Lord, let their heart be good soil. Whenever I see Scores of people are going to be bundled together and thrown into the fire because they have willfully said, I don't want Jesus. That breaks my heart. I want to do something. So when I do, God, do your work. I'm going to tell them the gospel, but God, save them. Take the heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. Those are the things I think we can do. When you see these texts in the scriptures, don't breeze by them saying that's that's tough stuff. I need something more encouraging. They're there for us. 
to encourage us and exhort us to do something. So that's the first one. Um, now there's a contrast that I want to highlight for us. Go over to verse 43. We're still in the same parable. There's a contrast. That's the future for those that are the Darnell. Let's see the future for those who are the wheat. 43 says, Then, so those who are in Christ that persevere in, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The righteous will shine. You need to take heart, Christian, that there is coming a day where you are not going to sin anymore. That's, that's really good news. There will be a day in heaven where you will no longer sin. You will shine. Not only will you just become like morally neutral, I don't sin, but you're also going to become positively um, worshipful. You're going to shine like the sun. You're going to be made like the sun for the glory of Jesus. And I think all of us need to hear that and just be encouraged that Philippians 1.6 is going to happen to us one day. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. So here's the implications then. Here's the implications. This is for the church and this is for you personally. This is the implication. We should spread the gospel generously, parable of the soils, and we should also cautiously pronounce salvation to people. Cautiously. That's the Lord's work. Cautiously pronounce salvation to people, but actively disciple people in the faith. That's the whole Bible. Actively. And that, that's, the, that's the goal of the church, and that's the goal of you individually. Generously spread the gospel everywhere. Cautiously pronounce salvation onto people, but actively disciple them in the faith. Actively. And for unbelievers, actively disciple them into the faith. So here's the first thing I want us to get. The big, big number one separation of wheat and weeds. I, hadn't, I, don't, I never did say the, the, the first one. It's the kingdom of heaven is the domain of Jesus. And he is the final decisive harvester, harvester of souls, not man. But again, that doesn't diminish our work at all. We, we actively go towards it. <clears throat> we actively do everything we can to bring it about. So now that's the first parable. We're going to the second and third. And these second and third ones, I mean... <laughs> it seems to me at least that the shorter ones I'm, I'm just as dense as the disciples maybe the shorter ones are hard to understand I, I, I really wish all of them were explained because this one these two I thought were pretty difficult the mustard seed and the leaven I know have the same basic meaning they have the same basic meaning but the problem is what's the meaning <laughs> what's the meaning I don't know like what is it I do know but I, that's what I was thinking this whole week what the world does this mean um, here's what we do know that it's two basic meanings. Is it, first, the extensiveness and the pervasiveness of Jesus and his kingdom? Is it that? Or is it the extensiveness and the pervasiveness of the enemy and sin in our lives? That's Commentators are going everywhere. And at the end, they really have the same findings. But they're just arguing over whether these two particular parables are, are, are bringing about those findings. We believe sin is pervasive, and we believe that the kingdom of heaven is pervasive and extensive. But that's the, that's the meaning is the extensiveness. I, I think it's the first one. I, I'm going to lay my cards out. I think it's the first one. I think it's the extensiveness and pervasiveness in Jesus and his kingdom. There's reasons for the others. Like um, you'll notice in the, in the layout of Matthew that these two parables, 
situate themselves right between the two weeds. And so where the weeds is kind of talking about the work of Satan and being explained the work of Satan, it's curious that Matthew would insert these two right here um, between those. And so that where it talks about Satan's work, it's curious that he uses leaven. And all throughout the Bible, whenever leaven's used, it's always, that's in a negative way. We're talking about how sin is like leaven and it, and it just kind of goes through everything. It's also curious that he uses birds. You'll see there in 32 that the birds of the air come. And we saw back in the previous uh, time where the birds are kind of representative of the evil ones who go and pick away the gospel off the hard ground. And so most people, some people commentators were saying this is all about um, the pervasiveness of, of sin and the enemy. But I think it's the other because can't get away from this. The kingdom of heaven is like I mean, that. That makes me feel like it's about the kingdom of heaven and Jesus. And so that it's just kind of you know obvious to me, at least. So the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. So I think it's about the per- extensiveness and pervasiveness of Jesus and his kingdom. So let's unpack those two. They have the same basic meaning. There's a little bit of distinction. I'm going to I'm going to draw that out in just a second. So here's the first one um, is the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took. Now, mustard seed, you've heard this over and over. It's really tiny and like it's really ex- amazingly small. It has a tiny, tiny beginning. And it says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. Not only does it become a tree, notice the giving of life and vitality that the tree provides for those who are birds. It says, so that the birds of the air come to the tree, make nests in its branches, and obviously it provides for them a home. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that has small beginnings, and the kingdom of heaven is like grows into a tree so this is kind of representative of the kingdom of heaven and things come to this kingdom of heaven tree and they the tree provides for them so this is what i think the first one is the kingdom of heaven verse two or second one mustard seed kingdom of heaven though it begins small will come to its grand fruition and it's going to provide life and rest and home and vitality to everyone in it it's going to provide that's what it's doing for all these people when you have birds nesting in its branches the kingdom of heaven Will one day, and its final decisiveness, provide this for us. So, it has small beginnings, though. And so, what I'm going to do as we're going through this, I'm going to kind of say, all right, this is talking about the kingdom of heaven, but there's clear implications and applications about you, about you and your faith. All right, so let's look at it. It says, it has this, it's the grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So, it's, it's small. You think of a baby 2,000 years ago, born to teenagers that were broke poor. I mean, broke poor. And there they are, given birth in a barn with animals around them. That's pretty small, humble beginnings. And then one day, that baby, in its final decisiveness in all of Revelation, will be the kingdom of all the heavens and all the earth, has pulled for himself people represented from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and he will rule and reign over them all. Now, I know that he did that from eternity past already, okay? This is a parable. And it's just saying, illustrating for us that humble, tiny beginnings that Jesus had as a baby representative of how it's going to be. And that's what we're talking about here is that um, it has this tiny beginnings. Now, same thing with your faith. If you're in Christ, you may have had small, tiny beginnings. And you may even consider your, your faith right now to be small. But the, what's going to happen is, is don't be discouraged because look what it says. It had <clears throat> the smallest of seeds, but... 
when it grows, not if, but when it grows, as the kingdom of heaven will grow and be pervasive or extensive every day, just like this tree, um, so will your faith. The Lord will make it grow. You will have, as I said before, this Philippians 1.6 promise, he who began to good work, even if your good work right now is a small little glimpse of faith, he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's a very good promise for you. All of you need to hear that continually. He's going to make it happen. And then it says that the kingdom of heaven becomes a tree and it's going to provide life and vitality and a home and rest to all those who are in Christ. And in the same way, we should make this our goal. As believers, while we're here, we should try to um, be like that tree. We want to set up a place in such a way. Um, not, it's not going to be the kingdom of heaven now. It will happen later. But we want to make it our goal that we are, as we're maturing in our life in Christ, that we are being um, a blessing to others, that we are providing life and rest and a home and vitality to other people, Christians and non-Christians. So that's kind of the first one that we want to see. Um, or that's the first one, or the second one I should say, is that the, the kingdom of the mustard seed, or the parable of the mustard seed. Now, the third one here, the, the kingdom of leaven, is very similar. Uh, but here's the distinction. In the same way, in the first way that the mustard seed is, is like a tree growing and it's showing about how its kingdom of heaven is extending everywhere, that the, the kingdom of leaven, or the, the parable of leaven, is when it gets there, Leaven, when it goes into flour, is just pervasive. Like it works itself all the way through. It's very thorough. It just takes over the entire thing. So like the, the, the uh, weeds, I'm not the weeds, I'm, I'm all confused. The mustard seed, whenever it goes through and it's extensive, this third one is that when it gets there, what happens is it's like leaven. That the kingdom of heaven is now, once it's there, it's extending everywhere, but now it's pervasive. It's thorough. It's going to be everywhere. It's, it's taking over. It's intensive transformation that happens. And so... Here's the third one. <clears throat> the kingdom of it's leaven. The kingdom of heaven, though it has insignificant beginnings, like I said, very insignificant, baby in a horse trough, ruling and reigning over every single thing. It is the kingdom of heaven, the ultimate consequence. The kingdom of heaven penetrates through every earth, I mean every corner of the earth. There's not a place where it doesn't take over. There's not a place where Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to access that, I'm going to take over that, I'm going to be thoroughly involved because it's mine. Um, so we can see here, and this one's really hard because I know zero about cooking. It says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that uh, a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so she accesses it. She took three measures. It's a good bit. She took a lot. And when she put it in there, it's just intensive. It goes all throughout, and it's intensive transformation. And we should make this our goal as well. As Christians, whenever we're going around, we want to make intensive, thorough penetrating um, movements into places and take over, if you will, for Christ. Here, let me give you a, a kind of an illustration of what I'm talking about. Last week, um, I was behind the curtain here during the worship set after I preached. I went back there, and there's, there's these chairs that are kind of lined up against this half wall, these loud metal chairs. And so I was standing there beside them as they were, as they were singing. I was kind of thinking to myself, worshiping, and I made... The smallest of all insignificant movements. That's all, my foot was kind of standing here, and I just went like this. That's it. That's all I did. I mean, very small and insignificant. However, 
because there was like 50,000 metal chairs lined up against this wall. I hit that one and it was like, it all happened in slow motion. I saw it and I saw it start sliding and it's these hard floors and I'm just like, no, I'm thinking about, no, I can't scream it. And so I'm kind of reaching and I'm seeing it moving in slow motion. I'm trying to grab it and then crash, bang, 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 and just huge noise everywhere. And this is exactly the same idea. The smallest of most insignificant, tiny little movements of ha- is happening here in the kingdom of mustard seed and leaven, which results in explosive, extensive, pervasive movements all over. That's exactly what he's saying. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It has small, humble beginnings, but it is extensive and pervasive. And this is how your faith should be. You have small, humble beginnings in your faith, but don't worry because God is bringing it about and it will be in final consummation whenever we're Christ in heaven gloriously beautiful it will be huge now i want to conclude with verse 34 and 35 it says all these things jesus said to the crowds in parables indeed he said nothing to them without a parable so um this is meaning that this is the essential way that jesus communicated it it doesn't mean that he only likes from there like yoda just started speaking in parables the whole time and they're like what are you saying i mean like really are you hungry like um, it didn't tell a story about everything. So like he, uh, this is just the essential way he started communicating to him. Um, but Matthew tells us that in 34, indeed, he'd spoke nothing to them without a parable because he's wanting us to see 35 because 35 is a quote of Psalm 78, two in the old Testament. And he's wanting you to see that Jesus fulfilled that prophecy and, and Psalm and Matthew does this. We've done this over and over where Matthew points out an Old Testament verse and says, Jesus fulfilled that. And you can see it right here. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Um, and it says, Matthew said, and this is uh, Psalm 70, 78, verse 2. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So at kind of on the surface thing, what Matthew is trying to tell us is that there's a verse, Psalm 78, 2, that says the Messiah is going to speak in parables Here's Jesus, and Jesus is speaking in parables. So, so on the surface, he's, he's wanting everybody to read this and say, that guy that was talked about back in the Old Testament, the Messiah, the coming king, this man Jesus is the, is the Messiah. He's the only one that can be. He keeps pointing everybody back and saying, the one who's talked about as the Messiah is Jesus because every prophecy that's talked about, this man specifically and this man only Jesus is fulfilling all those prophecies. And so at kind of the surface level, Matthew is wanting us to see that Jesus is fulfilling these, proph- these prophecies. When he says he spoke nothing to them about a parable, he says, I will open my mouth in parables. So Jesus is telling stories in parables, fulfilling that. Now that's on the surface what's going on. The, the, the psalmist said prophecies, um, parables would happen and he's doing it. But there's something deeper going on here than Jesus just kind of saying, oh, prophecies are, uh, parables are going to be spoken. Here's a parable. Did that one. It's, it's not just that. There's something deeper going on here. And that is that Jesus is quoting Psalm 78, which is kind of the, the whole of the gospel and how it kind of moves and works in the entire world overall creation in all time. Um, so there's something deeper because he's quoting this. These parables that Jesus is, um, these parables that Jesus keeps telling us are containing ancient, deep mysteries about the world. They're containing all that. And so what Jesus is saying, as he's telling them parables, and as Matthew is quoting Psalm 78, he's wanting us to see, more importantly, not just on the surface level, but deeper, the significant thing that's happening is that the mysteries of the kingdom are finally 
being revealed. Jesus is in essence saying, as he's telling these parables, he's in essence saying, I'm the one that all these Old Testament things are talking about. I'm the one who is restoring everything back to the way it's supposed to be. I'm restoring every, He's not just restoring your souls. He's restoring everything. My mom has cancer. That's part of the fall. He's restoring everything. You may have children that are not listening. That's sinful. He's restoring everything. There's brokenness everywhere. There's, there's people that are sinned against. There's children that are neglected and abused. Creation itself is broken. He's not just saving souls. He's saying everything that's happened, this brokenness of all creation, I am restoring everything back to the way it's supposed to be. When we read in Genesis this beautiful relationship that Adam and Eve had prior to the fall, before it happened, we see that they had a perfect relationship with God, that they walked with Him in the cool of the day, and that they were um, in perfect relationship with Him. And everything was right. Everything was beautiful. Everything, And the story is that Jesus is saying, I'm restoring everything back to that. Everything. Not just your soul, but all of creation. Romans 8 says that all of creation is groaning to be restored back to its rightful place. And so that's what's going on here. He is bringing, although it's here in some parts, he is also bringing the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is doing that. This man, Jesus, which means you and I need to trust him. We need to believe him. We need to worship him. We need to follow him because he's God. He's Savior. And he's beckoning us right now to come. Come see this kingdom. Come see how extensive it is. Come see how pervasive it is. Not just in this whole world, but also in all the intricacies and avenues of your heart. I will extend myself everywhere. I will be pervasive in your life. This is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. I am beckoning you to come and be blown away by his goodness. Not only that, but there's even more. He's not just bidding us come now for the future one day that we'll have with him in the kingdom, but he's bidding you to come now, here, today. Come now and experience, though in some part, though we look through a a mirror dimly, We still experience now the kingdom. We can still experience forgiveness. Though we know the world's still broken around us, we are still allowing him to say, come and find my heart, start making right, extend in there and be pervasive in my heart and start restoring me back to Christ. If this is the case, if this is the case, if he's not just saying, come for the future, but he's saying, come right now, why would we not all say, well then yes, I'm not putting this off. I'm not waiting to one day where I get all my junk together. I'm not waiting to where I finally get married or I finally have kids or I finally blah, 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 or I finally get that job or I finally... I'm, I'm coming now. I can have this now. That's exactly what he's saying. The kingdom of heaven is coming and will be, but it's also here now. And he's bidding, come, trust, follow, worship, believe in me. I'm offering this today. It's not just a bid for the future. So what's our response? 
right now as we're going into worship, we're going to worship for a few songs. What's our response right now? If you don't know Christ, your response is believe in Christ right now. Put your faith in him. Talk to me after the service. Talk to the person you came to. You can start now being restored back to the way it's supposed to be. If you are in Christ and you're thinking to yourself, when I think of the bundles, the bundles of weeds, you know what, let me say it. When I think of the people that will go to hell and that doesn't break me, then your response is to repent. Your response is to ask Christ to make that happen. I want to I be moved by that, God. Because if I'm never moved by it, I will never move. I'll always be found sleeping. Maybe your response is this. God, here's my heart. Would you extend all the way through it? Would you be thorough? Would you be intensive? Would you be pervasive all the way through it? I want you to have everything. I give you my whole life. Not just later, not just one day, but today. Here. Now. I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. And however the Holy Spirit's leading, just be obedient to that. Sit and think and pray and read your Bible. Stand and worship. Lift your hands. Whatever you want to do. I mean, whatever the Holy Spirit is leading, do that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you... Thank you that you've moved in my heart. I need to hear from you just like everybody else. I confess in my own life, Lord, that I am... I am woefully... sinful. I don't have the brokenness that I should have. And so I ask, Lord, for myself and for everyone here, all my friends here, that we would hold out our hearts figuratively and say, extend in, be pervasive, transform me. Transform me, Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for that those who are truly justified are promised to be sanctified. Thank you for that beautiful truth that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But Lord, we do ask for transformation. Continual, sanctifying transformation. Be with us now as we respond. May we be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.